The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated and please turn to your Bibles, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As we continue our study, children are dismissed. If you are third grade and under, you are dismissed to go to class. Thank you for worshiping with us. We love watching you worship and training in worship by watching your family. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. But it's very, very important that we remember the context, what's going on in the whole book, so that we know what is meant by this passage. And as we start getting to smaller, bite-sized passages, it would be easy to lose sight of the bigger context. We want to be careful not to do that. So where are we? Well, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at just one of the five discourses In the book of Matthew, a discourse is simply a teaching segment or a sermon where Jesus sat down with his disciples and he's teaching them. But the context is that the Old Testament has ended with a longing for the Messiah. The announcement is he's Jesus. Jesus brings the kingdom. And that's what Matthew is a gospel because it announces the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus. And so Jesus started calling men to himself. And remember, he called fishermen and he said, hey, listen, Follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they left their family businesses, and they immediately dropped everything and followed Jesus. And then we look at Matthew, who writes the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew. He should have been a faithful Jew, but what we see in his life, he became faithful to the Roman government that was oppressing the Jews, and he began to take to be a tax collector for them, collecting taxes from his Jewish brothers, but in the process over-collecting and getting rich and powerful off their backs. And so filled with shame and guilt, uh, feeling rotten for what he had done, wondering what would Jesus say to him. Jesus came to him and looked with eyes of compassion and forgiveness and said, follow me. And so Matthew excitedly dropped everything, threw a party with all of his rich tax-collecting friends and invited Jesus because he wanted them to know Jesus. And that's really what we see the book of Matthew when you look at the long story of Matthew. Jesus is saving us to send us. Jesus saved disciples, made them disciples, and sent them out to be disciple makers. And so that's the context. The very last verse in Matthew is the Great Commission that we call it. It's where Jesus sent them out and said, As you are going, make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so in these sermons that we're looking at, Jesus has gathered his disciples that he's called out, he's gathered them at his feet, he's sitting on the mountain, and he's teaching them, what does it mean to be a disciple? What are you going to face as you go out and make disciples? And the last thing he does is says, now go, make disciples. And so, We're in a very similar situation. We have people here who have trusted Christ and are disciples of Jesus. And we are sitting in the scriptures. We are sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning what does it mean to be a disciple? How do we make disciples? But there are also probably others here, because we always have so many guests, who maybe are not yet following Jesus as his disciples, but they're they're in the crowd listening to what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And they're weighing the words. They're counting the cost. And they're deciding for themselves, will I be a disciple of Jesus? And our prayer is, yes, that you will come to faith, follow Jesus, and be a disciple maker with us. And so, with that context, we get to Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is challenging the authorities of his day. He's basically coming into the church, 
and he's counteracting the teachers of the church. He's saying, listen, I know what your authorities have been saying, but I say to you this. They have said to you, don't murder, but I say to you, don't be angry. They say to you, don't, don't uh, commit adultery. I say to you, don't lust. They say to you this, but I say to you this. Now, who is Jesus to come in here with such great authority? He's already established himself as the God of the Bible. He said, your Old Testament scriptures point to me. I'm not contradicting you the Old Testament scriptures. I'm not a new guy coming in town and saying, do away with your Old Testament. I'm the point of your Old Testament. I am the authority over your Old Testament. I wrote your Old Testament. I wrote the scriptures. They're about me. I fulfill them. I'm the key to understanding them because they're all about me. And as the God who has authority, what did he say? Did he say, so get rid of your old scriptures? No, he said, obey your scriptures. Too many times people think the New Testament replaces the Old Testament, so you don't need your Old Testament. And Jesus came in with something radically different and new. He didn't. Jesus is counteracting their interpretations of the Old Testament. He's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's contradicting their shallow, weak interpretations of the Old Testament. So what does he do today? He says right at the heart of it. He says in verse 21, you have heard. And now I'm sorry for a translation switch on you. I did a bad job communicating. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, I read the first in the opening with an NAS just to try to solve some of that issue. But Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So he's going immediately to the sixth commandment. Remember this, the ten commandments were like a constitution to Israel. Very similar to our country, we have a constitution. That constitution lays forth the general guidelines for our country and for the laws that are made. Well, the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel through Moses was more general principles like a constitution guiding the behavior of His people. And what Jesus does is He goes straight to the the heart of the matter uh, dealing with what they said about the Sixth Commandment. The Sixth Commandment was, you shall not murder. Very simply, it's saying, if you murder, if you kill someone, it's considered murder. And they said, you will be put in jail. You will have a trial. You'll have witnesses. Uh, you, you can't take life. And so murder will be guilt, a crime that you will be found guilty if you did it. And so what the religious authorities did with that information is they said, okay... As long as I don't murder someone, I'm good. They did what we do with our human nature. We take rules and we make them, we define them in such a way that we can meet those rules so that then we can justify ourselves so that we can consider ourselves righteous. You hear the word self-righteous. You hear the word justification. So you have humans justifying themselves, declaring themselves self-righteous by keeping rules or laws that they determine are something that they can do and they measure up to. And what happens with human nature when we have achieved a, a certain status with our own behavior and we've declared ourselves righteous, we then become judges of others. And we start being critical and judgmental of others. And Jesus is coming in saying, y'all are missing the whole point. You think that you're righteous just because your people have told you that you don't murder and you're okay. 
But Jesus comes in and says, let me offer you a radically different standard of righteousness. And that's what we see in verse 22. Jesus gives his different standard of righteousness. Listen to what he says. He says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to to the hell of fire. So Jesus goes much deeper and he addresses the root problem, anger. He says, look, you get mad and you cuss and you condemn and you kill. And you think as long as you go as far as you can up to the edge, as long as you don't kill, that you're good with God. He says, do you really think that's what, we, what God expects of his people? You think really God is just saying, I just want a people who don't kill each other. That's the minimum standard. It's like speed limits. Why, why do we have speed limits? At this point, some of you are going, I have no idea. It's government overreach. How dare them tell us how fast we should drive? Okay, ideally, what's behind a speed limit? Safety. So that's, there's a moral Reason, there's the spirit of the law is to not speed because of safety. Why do we reduce the speed limit in a children's uh, school zone? Because we really want to be careful around the children who may not be watching. And we know there's going to be lots of kids. And so there, there's a reason behind the law that for us to just think that our, our life is to just get just as long as I don't speed. Or, or if I'm going to measure, it's going to be as long as I don't go six, nine miles over that speed limit. I don't think they're going to write a ticket. But the whole point is, there's a reason for that. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen, just because you haven't killed anybody, that's not my standard. Jesus is reestablishing his standard. And his standard is way more difficult than the standard that the Pharisees make. His standard is radical. How many of us can say, I've never gotten angry at anyone. I'm waiting because then I will throw another commandment, thou shalt not lie. (laughs) So none of us can say that we have met that standard. That's the point. There's the point. And that's the point of this week's message. That's the point of next week's message. And the one after that and the one after that. The Sermon on the Mount. The interpretive key is Matthew 5.20. And hopefully you're memorizing that. But unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making the point. His standard is perfection. At that point, we should all say, well, I'm in big trouble. We've all already admitted we had anger. So what do we do? That's, the, that's, that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus is making us face reality and say, listen, quit measuring yourself against some standard that you've created that you can measure up to so that you can justify yourself, so that you can declare yourself righteous. Instead, the gospel says you can't measure up because God expects heart perfection and behavioral perfection. But God, in His grace, 
promises that if you'll put your faith in the righteous one, Jesus, who was the God-man, the perfect God-man, then he will give you credit for his righteousness. He will justify you and he will declare you righteous. So when you are righteous by God's grace through faith in Jesus, he gets the glory. He's the judge. When you and I declare ourselves righteous, justifying ourselves by our own actions, then we exalt ourselves as judge and we get the glory and we become judge over others. Those are very two drastically different positions. Are you trusting in Christ for your righteousness or are you trying to make yourself righteous by your own deeds? That's the message of Jesus. And so he goes at the heart and he says, your standard is not high enough or deep enough or broad enough or wide enough. None of us can be made righteous. So with that declaration that you can't be right, we've all had anger, so you know what? Throw the Bible out. What's the point of these laws then if I can't keep them? Well, what did Jesus do when he said, I'm the God of the Bible? Did he throw the Bible out? No, he said, as the God of the Bible, you are under the authority of the Bible. The same thing is true with us with these commands of scriptures that you can't even be angry. Well, then if I have to be made right by God, then what do I do with that? Well, that is the second stage of your walking with Jesus as disciples that he fills us as disciples. When we put our faith in Christ, he fills us with his spirit. And the Spirit radically changes us. That's called justification, salvation, being born again, given a new heart, filled with the Spirit of God. All different phrases referring to the same thing. That the Spirit of God starts to change us and from the inside out. He starts to work in our hearts so that our heart is different and then our behavior is different. Where the Pharisees are saying, if you'll get this outward behavioral right, that's all you need. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to start from the inside. That you have to have the new heart that gives you a longing to obey the word of God. A hunger for the word of God. A love for the word of God. The word of God is filled with explanations that what is the will of God for your life. Well, the believer, the disciple says, I want to live that will. I want to follow his ways. I am a disciple of Jesus, which means I'm a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus establishes this principle that your righteousness can't be enough. You need my righteousness. But with my righteousness, it's going to change the way you live. And it's going to make you salt and light. Remember when he said that a week ago? He says, you're going to be salt and light. That's what my disciples are. You preserve the moral decay that's going on. You, you preserve morality. You, you fight decay as salt. And you reveal holiness and righteousness wherever you go in dark places with your life and with your words and with your actions. He says you're going to be salt and light at work, in your homes, in your neighborhoods because I'm going to change you from the inside out. And then he gives us two implications of this new standard and this new gospel righteousness. In verse 23, look what he says. So, in the SV it begins with the word so. That's implication. So, here's an implication. The first one is inside the church. The second one we'll look at is outside the church. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there 
before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So here Jesus is fleshing out his implications with a Jewish worship scene. The Jewish church at the Jewish temple. A good Jew would come to worship God, would would offer their sacrifice as an offering to God. And God, Jesus is saying to that Jew, when you come to the altar to worship God, and you are convicted that, that there is a problem between you and one of your brothers, maybe as you were walking to the altar, you saw that person, and it caught your eye, and you thought, I just want to punch them in the face. He says... You think you're good because you didn't murder them? He says, you think it's okay just to callous your heart? And just say, I'm just going to, they're dead to me. They're dead to me. I don't have to deal with that. Or I sent them a nasty email this week, but you know what? They deserved it. I could have done a whole lot worse. I wanted to do a whole lot worse. But I'm going to go to church and I'm going to put my sacrifice on the altar, and I'm going to sing some songs, and if I feel really righteous, I'm going to put something in the offering plate, and we're all good. And God says, it's not how it works in my house. It's not how it works with my disciples. Anyone want to punch someone in the mouth right now in our room? Please don't raise your hand. That's rhetorical. If you're sitting here right now, or, or even better, let's say it's, Community group sign-up time. And as you're dropping the menu down and you're clicking Tuesday at 6.30, you're thinking, if that person's in my group and they won't take them out, I'm leaving this church. There's your sign. You got a problem. If there is something in your heart against a brother or sister in Christ and you refuse to deal with it. That's the bullseye of this this point Jesus is making. You think you're good under the cover of religious activity. Give me a break. In the Old Testament, God was... King Saul, under the cover of religion, he was disobeying God. He didn't want to wait on the Lord. The Lord said, wait for me, my prophet, I'll come... And he's like, I don't want to wait. I got to go. The enemy's attacking. I got this. I got a better way. And he disobeyed God. And he went ahead and did some religious sacrifices. And the prophet, God sends to him and says this in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. Jesus is saying, you can give me your religion, but if your heart is bad, it doesn't do any good. I don't hear it. I don't see it. I don't want it. You're not earning any righteousness with God by being here today. Jesus wants your heart to be transformed. Now, what does it mean this very practically? How do we deal with How do we apply this scripture in our life? Paul says similar verses in Romans 12, 8. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Those are very key qualifiers. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Though we all know, sometimes you beat your head against a brick wall trying to be at peace with them. And all it seems to do is get worse. Jesus is saying, that's okay. I don't expect you to try to control them. I'm not saying you can't worship me unless as long, if someone's mad at you. I'm saying just make sure your heart is right. And don't just try to turn a blind eye to it. Another New Testament passage Paul wrote, Ephesians 4, 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That gets at the same idea. You get angry. You're upset. Deal with it. The issue, the the idea here is priority. The idea is urgency. The idea is proactive. Not counting on on your religion, but instead knowing that God longs for us to be loving and be peacemakers and reconcilers. And he says, that's religion to me. And then when you come and worship, I love to hear you sing these songs about how I've reconciled you to myself. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Oh, the root of bitterness, how ugly it is. Let's say you've sought reconciliation and you've tried and you've tried. What else can you do? They won't receive it. They won't make peace. And I'm still angry and bitter. What's at the bottom? What's underneath bitterness? Unforgiveness. Rooted out with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, I forgave you even while you were sinning against me. I forgave you. And now you have the ability to forgive them. And there's your spiritual warfare. You start doing battle at the root of bitterness. And it flows. The root leads to the fruit of reconciliation, peace, as long as it's up to you. If you're doing that business, even if you're in the middle of it right now, I'm trying well, that's what he's saying. I'm trying. We'll sing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sing about his grace. Sing about his forgiveness and extend that to others. That's what he's saying. Just don't ignore it. Don't pretend. Don't be phony. Don't think your religion makes you righteous. I make you righteous. Do heart business and sing to the glory of God. That's what Jesus says his disciples do. So those are implications inside the church. But then he transfers, he transitions to outside the church in verse 25. In the ESV, it says, come to terms quickly. There again is that idea of priority, quickly, proactively. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. So once again, Jesus is saying, when someone has something against you, address it. Deal with it. 
sincerely seek reconciliation. If someone is making charges against you, proactively, quickly seek to be a peacemaker and do all that you can to reconcile. In the financial world, this is kind of an example from the financial world. We as Christians, as disciples, should not be people that say, I ain't paying my debts. Let them sue me if they want me to pay them. They're not going to sue me. And you know how much it costs to hire attorneys? They'll figure it out that it's not worth it. Jesus' disciples should be the supreme examples of have the highest credit. That we should be the ones that say, I pay my debts. I pay my financial debts. I pay my emotional debts. I pay my debt of love and gratitude to others. That's what Jesus says. That's what my disciples are like. And when we're like that, we will be radically different than the people of this world. We will have a stark contrast. Let me give you just the example, these two contrasts that, that you see between the Pharisee and the disciple of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus' point is that heart-level transformation is more important than your righteous act, religious activity. The Pharisee stands proudly in the, in the church service for all to see his religious acts. He's proud that he has no court judgments against him. He's proud that he's met the letter of the law. And he wants everyone to see how righteous he is as he makes sure that he publicly puts his money in the offering plate. Let's everyone know how long he prays and how many scriptures he's memorized and how long he has spent in the word of God. I'm sure he says it like that. And the Pharisee is all about exalting himself and all of his glory and all of his self-righteousness And as the the perfect righteous keeper of the law, he judges others and he condemns others. Sadly, that describes too many churches and too many Christians today. Jesus' disciples are radically different. They are humbled by their own sin. They see the massive log in their own eye before they worry about the speck in someone else. And in that desperation, their poverty of spirit, realizing I have such wickedness in my heart, knowing God sees the anger, God sees the fact that I scream in anger at my kids, I want to punch that guy in the face, I've got road rage on the way to church. He knows what's really going on in my heart. And a disciple knows if it's up to me to be righteous enough... I don't have a prayer. But a disciple is overwhelmed by the joy that is produced by grace that Jesus gives me his righteousness. I get credit for his perfections. And as a result, the disciple glorifies God. Disciple seeks to be a peacemaker. Disciple seeks to wage war with the filth that comes in their heart that says, that's not who God has made me to be. The disciple brings glory to God and shares that others can know this forgiveness and this grace. And the disciple, his whole life, her whole life is pictured as a way of displaying such amazing grace that God has shown And their worship is genuine. Yeah, they know they've still got a long way to go. They know they still have 
struggles and heart issues and to work with, but they know that, that the Spirit of God is changing them little by little, day by day, week by week. And every time they lash out in anger, they hit their knees, Lord, I am sorry. Please work on that. Lord, what idol in my heart, what have I said is so important in my life that if something threatens it, I lash out in anger. Or they say, you know, that bitterness is still there, Lord. Help me to forgive. Help me to see them as you see me. Help me to give grace as I've received grace. And bit by bit, they start fulfilling the law. They start keeping the scriptures. They start walking in the will of God. They start becoming glory bearers to his name. They start being salt and light wherever they go. Which one are you? As the band comes, I want you to think about those questions. The closing song is meant to be a time of doing business. So which one are you? Are you a Pharisee or are you a disciple? Has Jesus made you righteous or are you trying to make yourself righteous? Has Jesus made you salt and light? Do you see your life makes a difference wherever you go? Even in your failures. Are you able to say, I have failed you, forgive me, and ask for mercy and grace? Even in your failures, you can represent Christ well. Is Jesus remaking you into a person who proactively loves others and makes peace? Or are you just here today denying the heart issues and going through the motions of religion? Jesus says, that's, that's not what I want. I want your heart. Father, would you grab our hearts this morning? My desperate plea is that no one leaves here today without trusting in Jesus for righteousness. If you want to trust Jesus right now, just just ask him, Lord, make me righteous. Lord, I give up. I can't do it. I need you to do it. And he will, right now, he will declare you righteous by your faith in Jesus. And he will begin transforming you in the days ahead. Don't leave today without doing business with the Lord. If you have the root of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your heart, turn it over to God right now. If you are a follower of Christ and you've been taking pleasure in that unforgiveness, repent of that sin and turn to Jesus now. He wants to bring renewal in your life. As we sing the song that we sing, would you do business with the Lord? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.